The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. I come today to to Genesis uh, 28. I hope you brought a copy of the scripture with you. If you haven't, there's a one in, in a chair underneath you or close by you that you could follow along. This is one of those days where I, you know, I encourage each week to have your own copy of the scripture. This is one of those days to be very important to make notes and make a connection point uh, through the Bible. And you'll see that as we unfold it a bit later uh, in the service. So Genesis 28 is, is where we are. I'm going to read verses 10 through 17 to focus our minds and hearts on the word of God and then lead us in prayer as we then proceed into the message. So I invite you to stand as I read from the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would give us wisdom as we take up your word. Spirit of God, that you would lead us into all truth, that you would speak to every heart present, whether they came seeking for that purpose or not. Speak to us, transform us as only you can do. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Be seated. Now, I'm not gonna assume that you know where we're at in the story of Genesis. Some of you are visiting today because of Father's Day. Others of you are like me. Your memory's pretty short. So let's review briefly to make sure we know where we are. Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man. What's his name? Abraham. Abram at that moment. God appears to Abram, a pagan man from a pagan land with a pagan family. God calls him and makes him a promise that he's going to bless him, make him a great nation, give him a land, and through him all the families of the earth will will be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verse four says, and Abraham went. He took with him Sarai, his wife. She was barren. That means she couldn't have children. For 25 years, they wait the promise of God. After 25 years, they give birth. She gives birth to Isaac, their son. He grows up and experiences similar circumstances when he marries Rachel and she too is barren. But God answers his promise and they have twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Most recently, we were in Genesis 27. Here's what we saw. 
The family of Esau, I mean, excuse me, of Isaac and Rachel and their sons, Esau and Jacob, disintegrate into favoritism and deception. The result is Esau wants to kill Jacob. So where you're at, as you pick up in chapter 28, is Jacob is going to flee. And it's going to appear, if you just shoot 28 in in isolation, that the reason he leaves where he's at is because his dad tells him to. That's not what happens. He's fleeing because Esau's plotting to kill him. So we pick up in verse one of chapter 28. It says, the Lord God, or Isaac, excuse me, the Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must take a wife from the Canaanite women. In other words, don't marry among these Canaanites. You got to find a wife somewhere else. So here's what you're going to do. Arise, go to Padam Aran, to Bethuel, to your mother's father, and take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may become a company of peoples. May you give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you and that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So basically here's what Isaac's repeating to him, the promise that God has given to Abraham and to Isaac. He's furthering this on to Jacob. So verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I was emphatic there. Did you notice a repetition? What word got repeated? Place, three times. All right, when the Bible does that in a short span, you need to say, oh, wait a minute, this means something. So track with me here. Pretend there's a map, all right? So Israel's right here, running north and south. Haran, modern day Syria, okay? This is where Abram is. God comes, speaks to Abraham, tells him to go into the land. He goes into the promised land of Israel and he stops. He stops at a location and there he erects an altar. All right, hold that in your thought. God now is with Jacob, whether he knows it or not. Jacob is fleeing for his life. He's on his way back to Haran. That's where Abraham came from to get a wife. And he stops at a place. Would you like to guess where it was? It's exactly the location where Abraham stops and builds an altar. It's Bethel. Now, Jacob is unaware of this. Just make sure you don't get this. He's, he's, he is a, he's, he's, he's a city boy, all right? He slept in a tent. His brother was the hunter. His brother's the one that camped out. He wasn't the camping kind of guy, all right? He's a mama's boy. He stayed home. So now you got him out exposed. He has no tent, nowhere to sleep. He's so exhausted when it gets dark. The reason he stops is it's dark. He's so exhausted, he sleeps on a rock. So he goes to sleep. And then the Lord God reveals himself to Jacob. Don't miss this, friends. This is a display of God's grace. Jacob is not seeking God. He's not pursuing God. God comes to Jacob of God's own initiative. God comes for his purposes and for his glory. The first thing we see is the ladder to heaven. I purposely didn't name it stairway to heaven. So you didn't confuse. By the way, that song has nothing to do with this. Nothing. 
He dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached down to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold, the Lord stood above it and said. Now clearly, clearly, there's one thing you can see in this text. The ladder is connecting two locations. What? Heaven and earth. That's all you can see right here. But you have the rest of the scripture to read. So the Bible gives further interpretation of what this ladder is. It's not in your notes, but turn with me to John chapter 1 right quick. John chapter 1 verse 51. Jesus here is speaking to Nathanael. He's explaining how he knew some things. In verse 51, John chapter 1, it's the very last verse. John chapter 1, it says, Then he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So do you think Genesis 28 is in Jesus' mind here? Yes. So Jesus is not saying what the ladder is. Jesus is saying who the ladder is. He is the ladder. John 14, 6, he becomes absolutely emphatic. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's not clear in Genesis chapter 28, but it's cleared up when you come to the other place in the scripture. Let's go back to Genesis 28. It says the Lord stood above it. So he stands above the ladder. And he's going to speak. Now, think about this. If you're God, and that's Jacob, who has just deceived multiple members of his family, who has acted inappropriately, what do you say to him? If we didn't have the rest of Genesis 28 right here, we'd be anticipating a rebuke, condemnation, correction. Here's what he receives. He receives grace. And what God does is he restates the covenant promise. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the east and the west, and to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be Blessed, behold, I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now there is a lot packed in there that has massive implications all throughout the scripture. Let's just start with this. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And what's implied here? And the God of Jacob, which is gonna become explicit at other places in the scripture. Now, even though Jacob is deceitful and how he gains the blessing, God in his grace now and by grace alone is going to give the blessing to Jacob. He promises that land in which he is fleeing is going to be given to him. And not only to him, it's going to be given to his offspring. He promises that he's going to multiply his offspring as the dust of the earth. Does that sound familiar? It does because in Genesis chapter 13, that's exactly what God says to Abraham that he's going to multiply his offspring as the dust of the earth. Now watch where he's going to do this. North, south, east, west. Let's come back to Cain for just a second. When God banishes Cain, which direction does he send him? 
May remember? East. Here's what Jacob deserves, east. But God promises north, south, east, and west that God is going to reach into the nations, to the families of the earth, and bless through Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you. What? Wherever you go. So God's saying here, I'm not just going to protect you while you're in this land. I'm going to protect you wherever you go. Wherever your feet find you, I'm going to protect you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, up to this point, Jacob has shown no response to the Lord except for a blasphemous statement that he makes to his father about how he came about the animals for the sacrifice or for the food. But here in this moment, He's brought into the very presence of God and he responds appropriately. Jacob worships the Lord God. Verse 16, he awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. An ordinary place, all it is, place, becomes a holy place. It becomes a holy place because there Jacob has a personal encounter with the Lord God. And the result from Jacob is reverence. When it says he was afraid, it does not mean like he's seen a ghost. It means there is a deep-seated reverence, a healthy fear of who God is. And awe. He says, how awesome is this Place. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Friends, any worshipful act from our life is birthed from reverent fear of the presence of God. What's happened in much of modern worship is, little w, is that what we're trying to do is impress human beings. And as a result of that, there's very little awe. There ought to be moments when we come together with the people of God that we are struck with a reverent fear. This is free. It's one of the reasons we don't pray and fast. We don't want to be struck, some of us, with the presence of God, with the knowledge of who he is. We like a controlled deity. We want God to do what we want when we want it. But that's not who he is. Jacob controlled everything in his life but God. And God here appears to him and it strikes him with a holy fear. He responds in the morning by taking a stone, verse 18, and put it that it was it had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and pulled oil on top of it. You know, what is he doing here? He's setting up a holy location, a consecrated place, turns this rock in such a way that it would have drawn attention to that it was not naturally placed there. He anoints it with oil to consecrate it. Then he calls this place Bethel, which means the house of God. Then he makes a vow. He says, if God will 
be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone, which I've set up for a pillar shall be, a, be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now here's a question I have. Don't answer out loud. Don't, don't nod your head. Some people have embarrassed themselves today. Is Jacob bargaining with God? My answer is no, he's not. Jacob is responding with a vow that, that, that it's gonna take place in his life. There are things Jacob's gonna do because of what God has already promised he's gonna do. He's not saying, I'll do this, God, if you'll do this. God's already said what he's gonna do, right? God's not gonna leave him. He's not gonna forsake him. He's gonna bless him. So what Jacob is saying here is, I'm all in. I'm gonna go where you want me to go. I'm gonna trust you to give me what I need and that I'm gonna come again to my father's house and you shall be my God. He's so committed, he's saying a full tenth of what is you give to me, I'm gonna give back to you. I'm gonna return it to you. You see, when we fully comprehend God's presence and God's promises, it results in devout and faithful worship and commitment and consecration. We go all in. Let me just press this for a moment and press it hard. I would say that there is a sub gospel being preached in the United States that says, you can have Jesus and go to heaven but you don't have to really have Jesus. And I ask you, is that the gospel Jesus preached? Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The person who's truly been saved by the grace of God is like Jacob, they're all in. They are completely and utterly for the Lord. Why? Why? Because they know who God is. And they recognize what God has given them and, and what God is going to give them. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to walk through the scripture for a moment. And here's what I want you to see. That the Lord God keeps his promise to his people. I want you to start with me in the book of Exodus. While you're turning there, I want you to answer a question in your mind. When we talk in the modern American church, when we talk about God's blessing, are we primarily talking about God's blessing on his people collective or are we talking about God's blessing on individuals? Which direction? Say it out loud, come on. Some say collective. I would argue we, we are so self-consumed. I have, I have seldom had people come up to me and say, Pastor, will you, you pray for our church? People often come up and say, Pastor, pray for me. We think very individually. Now I'm gonna go individual in a moment. What I want you to see here is 
bigger than you. If you are in Christ, there's something bigger than you going on. You are now a part of a people. And God's made a promise to his people. He's going to keep this promise. Exodus chapter 3. Where are the children of Israel at this point? Where are they? In Exodus. Egypt, in bondage. God appears to Moses. The Lord God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard the cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should say to Pharaoh to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be what? With you. I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have said to you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31. All right, I'm ratcheting ahead in the story. Connect the dots with me. They're now wandering in the wilderness. How long they've been there? 40 years. Can't get into the promised land. Watch this. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old. I am no longer able to go out and to come in. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. Why? Why is Moses not going into Jordan? You say, okay, well, Moses sinned. That's why God's not letting him go in there. Yes, but I would argue that's secondary. Here's why Moses is not going in. The next verse tells you. The Lord your God himself will go before you. What, wanted, what, what God wanted to be clear to the children of Israel, what he wanted to be clear to Moses, what he wanted to be clear to us, it wasn't a man who led them into the promised land, it was God himself. It's God himself who provided and led them. Go to Joshua. Joshua chapter one ends with an omin- begins with an ominous note after the death of Moses. All right, the hero's gone, he's dead. So God now speaks to Joshua. Verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. And the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is what? He is with you wherever you go. Would you like to guess where they end up? The promised land. Now we're going to ratchet way ahead. Uh, You're going to skip Psalm 23. It's in your notes. I want you to go to Isaiah. 
The children of Israel do not do what Joshua 1, 7 says, to be careful to observe all that God has commanded them. They, they vary from the word of God and it ultimately ends them up in exile. So is everything lost then? Are, are the people of God over? Is it done? Isaiah chapter 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Chapter 43, verse 3. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God's going to speak through some other prophets, and then he's going to go silent, dead quiet. For 430 years, God does not speak. We turn now to Matthew chapter one. God speaks in an unlikely place to an unlikely person. He comes to a young virgin girl and to her betrothed husband, Joseph. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary your wife for what she has conceived in hers from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And in case you missed the significance, here's what it means. God with us. You see, this is God's promise all along, friends. He's not going to leave his people. And the way he's going to fulfill this promise that he is with us is that he's going to send his son, his only begotten son, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man, who is going to live on the face of this earth. He's going to be conceived, grow in the womb, be born, live a life developing as a normal human being. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. He is also fully God, so he never sins. So that prepares him for the moment in time when he goes to the cross and on the cross, the sinless Savior dies in our place, bearing our sin upon himself. He died. They buried him, and three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. That's pretty good news. I, you know, I'm... Now, if that's all Jesus was doing, was saving you from your sins, here's what he'd have done at that moment. Issued salvation, collected up all the believers, and whoosh, up they went. God had a promise to a dude way back yonder in Genesis chapter 12. Through you, the nations will be blessed. All of the families of the earth. Jesus has provided salvation 
He is resurrected. Now he stands on a mountaintop with his disciples. Mountains are very significant in the Bible. And on this mountaintop, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, how can he say that? Because he's the resurrected Lord standing right there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Here's how God's gonna get to all the nations through his people. And here's his promise. Don't you think it's gonna sound familiar? Of course it does. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Question, friends, are we at the end of the age? No. You know how we know that? Jesus hadn't come back. He's not here yet. Well, it's, it's coming. It's tomorrow. You don't know that. Jesus said, nobody knows that. So until Jesus comes, here's what you do. You live in the power and the presence of God, fulfilling the mission of God in this world. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he, they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Question, are you in heaven? Some of you think you are. Here, don't, you, don't, don't leave me. Some of you think you are. Some of you are living like this is heaven. This is it. Get all you can get. Pursue it as hard as you can pursue it. The reason our children are walking away from the faith is because we're not raising them in the faith. We're raising them to embrace the world. We're saying to our kids, live for this kingdom. This is all there is. Friends, we need to wake up as to who we are. We are the people of God who have been saved by his grace. He is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he has a promised place where we will be with him forever and ever, where there will be no mourning or crying or pain anymore. Now listen, some of you are going to push back to this because you're going to say this is old timey hellfire and brimstone preaching. No, this is biblical preaching and we've lost sight of it. Some of you are gonna weep and gnash and cry for eternity because you lived like this was heaven. Because you live like this is all there is. Here's who God's people are, whether they're citizens of the United States or citizens of France or Germany or South Africa or Malaysia. Everywhere believers are, here's who they are. They're exiles. Let me say it the way we say it around here. We ain't from here. This isn't our home. Our king is Jesus. 
And his kingdom has been brought to bear on our lives and his kingdom is being brought to bear through our lives. So here's my question to you, 21st century American Christian or 21st century American, maybe you're not a believer. Are you trusting in the promise and presence of the Lord God? Are you? Are you living your life trusting in God's promise and presence? I'm in Psalm 120, oh, excuse me, Psalm 23. It says 121. I skipped Psalm 23. I want to come right here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even, even if you didn't grow up in church, this sounds familiar, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. God is with you and God is blessing you as his child for this reason, for his name's sake. You're not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. God owes me nothing. He owes you nothing. God is for his glory. And God, in his, for his glory, blesses and works in his people that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That means the word of God leads us and comforts us as we move through this life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever and forever. Friends, God is always for his people. His people. God will never leave nor forsake his people. Now, what I'm going to say next is going to sound anti-American. I am not being anti-American at all, at all. This nation will one day collapse. It will. But God's kingdom will never collapse. Now, hear me, friends. As you're watching a nation which appears to be disintegrating around you and you ought to pray for it and you ought to seek to do right by it. As you're watching this happen, do not forget God never leaves his people. His kingdom will prevail. Who you ought to be praying for today is that group of Iraqi Christians that they're gonna load up on a plane and send them back to a sure death this week. That's who you ought to be praying for. See, most people have missed this because they're not legal citizens. They're gonna send them back. But here's what I know. America may betray them and send them back. My God will never leave them. And hear me, they may be that group in Revelation, that group of martyrs at the throne of God and whom God makes the gospel known through. 
That doesn't make the blood on our hands any least, by the way. Friends, God's gonna do his work in the world. It is not dependent on man. I think I've made my point, but let me just be clear as I pray for you. Let's quit walking around like we're depressed. Let's quit acting like this is all there is. Let's quit acting like the world's falling apart. Who owns this world? And he's bringing it to Revelation 21. (laughs) Yeah, this world is falling apart. He's gonna make a new one. He's gonna make a brand spanking new one. That hope is in us because we know he never leaves us. Trust him. Let's pray. Lord, of all people, you should have abandoned Jacob. And there are people in this room, by every right, you should have abandoned them. But God, by your grace this day, you have confronted them with the truth and the hope of your word. And I pray for the person who is far from you, who has run from you, who has rebelled from you, that today they would hear your voice and recognize their need and repent of their sin and call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And for those who have called on your name unto salvation, Lord, I pray today they would be reminded anew and afresh that you never leave them and you never forsake them. Oh God, calls us now with reverence and awe to sing of your grace and to magnify your name. And as your people sing, I pray that you would move among those whom you're calling to yourself, that they would repent and turn to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.